Hey, you, you're listening to Sloancast, your one-stop shop deep dive where we discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time, Patrick Penland, Andrew Scott, Jay Ferguson, and Chris Murphy, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow superfan hosts. I'm Rob. This is Ken. Ken, how's it going, buddy? I'm doing great. You know, Rob, when, when we were conceiving of this podcast a couple of, well, a year ago about now, uh, we had a laundry list of guests that we were talking about and uh the upper echelon of those guests that we'd Mm. you know definitely wanted to have on the podcast as sort of that inner circle of the band and maybe people who could lay claim to the to the title of fifth sloan as it were Mm. and we're lucky enough to have one of those people on the podcast today you got it, Ken. Listener, our guest today, if you peruse the credits for virtually any Sloan or Murder Records release throughout the years, you'll see her listed as photographer. She's certainly not defined by her incredible talent behind the lens, but there is a reason that this band and so many artists throughout the years looked so amazing on film, and her name is Catherine Stockhausen. Catherine, thanks so much for being on the show. How are you? I'm well. How are you guys? Hey, pretty good. Thanks for doing Fantastic. this. <laughs> that was a nice introduction. Thank you. Yeah, Ken wasn't lying. With like when we had our like little wish list at the beginning of this, like you're top of the list, and uh, so it's such a pleasure. So I'm like above all the band members of Sloan, obviously. <laughs> well, we've thankfully had two on so far, and we're keeping our yeah. fingers crossed for those other two rascals. Um, but how many uh, yeah. women have you had on so far? You would be the first. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thanks again for doing this. Um, so why don't we just jump right in, if you don't mind? Maybe a little bit of background about yourself, if you don't mind. Maybe just uh, young Catherine, growing up where you're from, and sort of how you mm-hmm. found yourself interested in the arts and so on. Um. Well, starting way back from birth, I was actually born in Italy, not Italian. It's just mm-hmm. where my parents lived. Um. And uh, and then my whole family moved to Dartmouth, Nova Scotia when I was about one. Um, and uh, yeah, my my dad, uh, I mean, I wouldn't call him a photographer, but he had gear and cameras. And there's definitely pictures of me growing up that are, you know, well lit and taken with a, an SLR. Um, and I, I, I took pictures, I don't know, like since I was young enough to hold a camera, I guess. Hmm. Um, all my early photos are in black and white. There was color film already invented by that time. I'm not that old, but <laughs> for some reason, uh, they were all black and white. Um, and I took, uh, I remember taking a photography course at a, sort of kids bookstore in Halifax called Woozles, mm-hmm. which later on in life, I ended up teaching the photography course to kids through Woozles. So that was a nice full circle there. Um, and then, yeah, I, I was just always taking pictures of my friends growing up. And then in high school, I was like the yearbook photographer. And and then I just, I don't know, it just seemed like obvious to me that I would go to art school. Um, I didn't even think about that being a career choice or a non-career choice. I just thought, well, that's what I'm going to do. 
and and went into photography. Cool. So you so born in Italy and you moved to Halifax, I guess, when you were a lot younger then, like little kid. One, just like one years old. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. Cool. <laughs> to the Italy um, to the Italy of Nova Scotia, Dartmouth. Uh, yeah. Right. Dartmouth, yes. My my mother always cringes when I say I'm from Halifax because it is <laughs> across the harbor. <laughs> that's a whole ferry right away so yeah. um you you mentioned uh you know art college was was always a part of um, part of your plans essentially um we um have talked a lot about the nova scotia college of art and design on on this podcast for for obvious reasons can you maybe just sort of describe the how that you know that scene in quotation marks was at, at nascad when when you were beginning because you were really at a, you, you came to NASCAD at a very interesting point in time from a purely cultural perspective, not necessarily from an actual contentual, uh, you know, university perspective. Mm-hmm. But how was that? How was that experience in the early 90s? I mean, I, I guess we didn't know it was, you know, quote, the early 90s at that point. But right. um, personally, it was the first time I, like, I went when I was 18. Uh, which I think in retrospect, maybe it was a bit young to join that environment. I couldn't even go to bars. Hmm. So, you know, there was bands playing that I, I, I couldn't even go to the school dances, which were essentially bands playing in the cafeteria because I wasn't <laughs> old enough. <laughs> um, which I think is the reason I did not see Sloan's first show at NASCAR right. because I was, I was 18. Um, so, you know, you never know you're in an exciting time in the moment. Um, when I look back, I'm like, oh, those people went there all at the same time. And now look what everyone's doing. And, um, but for me, I was a kid who was just like right out of high school in Dartmouth. In high school, I went to see bands, but there just there wasn't as much going on then. It really kind of, the scene really emerged at the exact time I was like coming of age um, and and entering an art scene. So yeah, we, there was a pub Flamingo was one of the bars. There was a band every Tuesday night. It cost $2 to get in. And I just went to it every Tuesday and and my friends did. And I would see people from school. You even see some professors there. and it was just sort of an extension of the classroom life into the night to, um, you know, from from visual art to musical art. It was just kind of all one thing and all one group of people and the big scene. So huh? music was really pervasive at NASCAD, regardless of your of your focus. Hmm. What was your, maybe we can jump directly into this question. When did the S word really first appear on your radar screen? When were you first aware of Sloan or was it, was it that maybe you were first aware of Chris Murphy of Sloan before you were aware of that band? Oh yeah. Like I, I met Chris, we started NASCAD together. We were in what they call foundation year, foundation semester together. Um, and Sloan, I don't think it, like, as of September, when we both started, Sloan didn't exist. I knew him from, knew of him from Carney Lake Road and Blackpool, who, bands I both 
seen. Right. Um, and then Andrew as well was already going to NASCAD. He, he'd been there before, like he was already going. So I, I was in a class with, with Chris and he was that guy from those other bands. And I think I remember him telling me, um, you know, he's, they're starting a new band and they're going to play. And I didn't go because I wasn't old enough. <laughs> but I think maybe I saw their, well, you guys would know. What was their second show? Oh, God. That's a good question, <laughs> Rob. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, this is this is information that we want to kind of get filled in at some point. But, I mean, there's obviously footage yeah. out there of them playing. Um, even at the uh, Live at Much in 2001, there's some kind of B-roll of them playing in, like, a really big room with just, like, maybe five or six people kind of dancing around and stuff. So I'm assuming that's sort of mm. one of those early shows, like early 91. But uh, yeah, the specific location of show number two and so yeah. on. I, couldn't say. <laughs> I, I I do think I was at the second show. Mm-hmm. Can't remember. It, it might've been at the Flamingo. Right. And I remember, I remember the language used around promoting them in posters and it was really of the time, but it was all just sort of like, candy descriptions like crunchy sweet mm. um soft and i don't know it was just like right. described in in the context of infection <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a fairly famous uh, po- famous i guess poster of the I think it was the East Coast Music Awards promo party or something where they were kind of uh, advertising that that first Sloan uh, demo, uh, the first Sloan cassette for whatever became Peppermint eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, I think that, that there were sort of those adjectives in a Batman style sprayed about the poster. Right. So I do. Well, uh, yeah, I guess Peppermint. There you go. That's a candy. Right. True. That's uh that's and there a was, very good parallel. There was a song called Raspberry, is that what it's called? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they they perpetuated the food analogies. Lemon <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, did so did you have any sort of feelings? I mean, having seen maybe the second show, uh, and you know the guys in the band, obviously. I mean, I don't know if it's worth going through like meeting each individual individual guy because they all have their yeah. own sort of characteristics and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know them before. I only mm-hmm. met Chris in class um, when I was going to see Connie Lake Road, etc. Like, I didn't know these any of these people. I was from Dartmouth, not Halifax. Was in high school, I, I guess. I think I was still in high school. So yeah, there I I wasn't the type who would stick around and talk after. Uh, so yeah, like meeting Chris for the first time was in, in class for sure. Cool. Did you have a sense at the time? I mean, seeing them, you know, I'm sure there were other bands that were amazing that you know perhaps like broke up the next week or something. But did did they or any other bands at the time sort of strike you as like oh they they, they seem like. Uh, or maybe Sloan was a band that didn't even seem like it was anything, you know, like, oh, it's just a bunch of guys doing some scrappy noise or whatever. Was there any sort of vibe about them at all? Um, probably like confidence. Um, most bands that you would see around then are, are people who are in their first band. Mm-hmm. who are just kind of figuring it out, going on stage for the first time. But I think all these guys had been in a few bands already. And kind of 
um, knew in their heads what they wanted to be. Mm. Um, and, and they were, uh, I mean, I'm saying this with zero knowledge, but I would, I kind of think good at their instruments by that point. Like they weren't learning as they were going. So, um, confidence, which then bleeds over into like faith from an audience. Like <sighs> you're like, Oh, okay. I know. Okay. They're good. Um, and they had stage presence, you know, Chris was always, oh, they were all kind of like rolling around the ground a lot. And, and then, you know, feedback and the amps and like, they were of the moment, but they were um, the only band of that moment, I would say mm. at that time. Mm. Yeah. Did that line up at all with your sort of musical preferences? Like, were you, would you consider yourself from an early age, sort of a music fan? Like, what were you into at the time? Yeah. yeah. Um like in high school, I was super into like Hesker Du was my favorite band. And um, I also liked, you know, the replacements, but also Descendants and all and like kind of skate, kind of into like skate punk, um, mm-hmm. but also like Minneapolis stuff and uh, yeah, Scream and um, Bad Brains. And so, Dag Nasty. <laughs> so I remember meeting Chris, and for whatever reason, we started talking about music. And he was just like, "What do you mean you listen to that? Like, how do you know that music? You're a girl." He, he didn't say that part, but like, he was kind of taken aback. Mm. And so we had. We had so many conversations about like the descendants. <laughs> I don't think he was into it as into Husker Du as me, but I know he really liked the you know DC bands like Minor mm, Threat sure. and um, Fugazi. And I think I started a radio show. Would this have been CKDU? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have even started it like my first semester at. Or maybe after high school. I don't know. Like, I think I remember when Sloan first had their very first release, I was already, I already had a radio show and I was playing it hmm. um, from the get go. Okay. But at, I, I think I actually met Jay because he used to always call into my radio show and request songs. <laughs> and, and also like on funding drive days, he would always donate to our show. Yeah. So to answer your question, I was always um, pretty big into music and indie music, alternative music at that time, punk music, hardcore. And like when I was in high school, the stuff around Halifax was kind of heavier than Sloan. Sloan was really like poppy for, for that scene at that time. And then they ushered in that wave of pop. But at, at before that, it was really quite like, loud in that town yeah right at at what point did then your sort of love for photography and you know professional ambitions around art direction or or whatever else collide then with that music world so at what point were you doing i guess professional music photography well i've told this story before but in um in first year photography, you just have to 
I think it was shoot five rolls of film a week. Um, and it was film. Uh, so you really just have to have your camera with you at all times and just photograph whatever you're doing. And I, I still lived at home with, with my family. So I wasn't <laughs> the only, I was just like taking pictures on the way to school, which I took a boat to get to, fun fact, the Halifax Dartmouth Ferry. Uh, I took a lot of pictures on that ferry and just like around school. And then at night to go see bands, I would just take pictures um, of the bands on stage. And also the, the people in the clubs, like I really always thought of it um, less sort of concert photography is more documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have just as many photos of crowds watching of people outside. Um, I, it, it's kind of was all portraiture to me, portraiture of people doing different things, including being on stage. Um, and so I think, I think maybe a few bands like saw me do it and said, Hey, can we see those? Can we use these? Can we buy them off you? And it's like, I had no idea. Um, what's charged for something like that? I, I probably said, no, you can just have them because there was no one else before me there doing that. So I had no one to ask. Um, I always kept my negatives. That was, I have every negative I ever shot, but I would just print photos and give them away all the time. Bands were actively approaching you. I understand that you were also in in touch with Thrush Hermit at the. I mean, those guys were like sixteen years old at the time. I think, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I definitely was at their first show. Um, I mean, they might have played their high school. I'm not sure, but they played um, Pub Flamingo, one of those Tuesday nights. I remember that. And like, I, I don't know. Like, I just remember like hanging out with Joel afterwards a, bu- a bunch of us like just walked around and and they were like still in high school and they were just like so excited and they, they had the chaperones with them and <laughs> i can't remember the first time i shot sloan but i feel like chris was kind of you know hey you should saying to me you should take a picture of this band or saying to the band like you should get Catherine to take your picture and and um, a lot of those introductions were made through him I I am a pretty shy person. I was more shy at that time, so I I don't really think I was ever approaching the bands. But the the other factor, which came a little bit later, was I was hired by like magazines to photograph bands. So okay. there was uh, a magazine called Impact, um, and then Chart and Exclaim pretty early on, and then there was Coast Magazine in in Halifax. So as the scene grew and as you know, people wanted to write about the scene, I was the go-to person to call up like, hey, can you take a picture of this band? So a lot of my catalog of, of shoots with bands came from assignments. Yeah. Cool. So what kind of gear were you using early on? Like, I mean, I assume you obviously had cameras prior to NASCAT, but, you know, getting into band photography, was it always just sort of one camera? Yeah, um, I think I used my dad's Minolta um, SLR, that's single lens reflex, um, 
just the, the kind of camera that uh, you typically think of as a camera. Like it's heavy, you're holding it with two hands, it's got a lens, you, you turn it to focus, you set the exposure, the aperture, the shutter speed, nothing automatic. You had to wind it, like it didn't even advance by itself. Wow. Uh, I think I used that through through high school for sure and into NASCAD. And then in the photo department, there was what what's called the cage. You literally walk up to somebody who's like in a cage <laughs> and you sign out cameras. So I would always sign out like a Nikon FM2. That's the camera I really liked. That was a 35 millimeter SLR. Um, we had these cameras called Mamiya's. They were medium format. Um, or six six, there it was square, like a larger negative. Hmm. There was uh, like land cameras that are four by five inch negatives, like huge negatives, kind of like expensive, and like you just have to put so much work into each photo because it was hmm. so expensive and laborious and big. And um, they, there's all sorts of cameras there, so I just experimented, but. Um, the Nikon FM2 is what I really liked. And then it was my graduation gift from, from my mom. When I graduated, I, I got one of my own. So that's what I kept using. And then I, I got my own um, medium format Mamiya. So that's 6.6, six, also called two and a quarter. And then I got a, a 6.7, which is like a medium format rectangular shaped negative single lens reflex pentax <laughs> tell me if i've lost you on all this but um i had a ton of cameras i, I still have them all and then i got you my own awesome. kit oh yeah i still have everything i only ever just use my iphone now but you know. i was just gonna say i was gonna say like you know that kind of question for people who are burgeoning uh, photographers out there listening and, you know, perhaps a fan of your work and thinking like, you know, where do I even start with like a first camera kind of thing? Um, but I mean, everybody's phone is a camera, you know, and how mm -hmm. do you, you know, how do you fight? Yeah, I know it was so, it's so depressing. Like I, I took entire semester long courses on how to shoot, develop and print photos that are a filter on Instagram now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, you know, I really experimented, like I experimented with exposure and with chemicals and, and now it's just a button. And now I, I feel like looking back on all those pictures, I'm just kind of like, eh. like it's, it's a button I would never use on Instagram. Like it's kind of overplayed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I think I think film will always be better and be here. And I think everyone learning photography should absolutely learn on film. Yeah. And you know, I also have a digital SLR. Uh, it's um, a Canon five um, D which you still have to know about photography to get a good picture. It, unless, like, I don't even think you can just have it on automatic. You have to know what you're doing, um, which you definitely do not on your phone. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a quality to, you know, analog and it will tactile having an actual picture, you know, as opposed to just a bunch of digital stuff on your phone or whatever. So, you know, 
I, th- I think it'll always be something that people refer to and prefer. I mean, personally, obviously, but, um, so kind of getting back to the timeline a little bit, you know, so I'm, I'm imagining, I don't know, do you, um, can you confirm like the first musical release or sort of public item no. that perhaps included your photography, whether it was a, a, po- a poster for a show or a release? I think, well, okay. I'll ask you this question. Maybe, you know, when did the first um, hardship post tape come out? I want to say ninety three. They've got you on Discogs as doing Mad Hats Freak cassette. Okay, I did do that. That might yeah. have been that was early. Um, so I don't I might, know if, yeah. if, if, if uh, hardship post predates that one. They would probably be within the same year. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't Mood Ring. It wasn't. It was maybe called hack or hacks and it was like a tape and it was a black and white live photo of Sebastian. And I did, there was a compilation called no class. That was a cassette. I think maybe it came out on CD later and that had like plum trees first recording on it. Yeah. yeah, Then that, that was a picture of a, uh, basketball net that was pretty early on Elsa did like um stinking rich is now buck 65 i did his first cassette chin music yeah like i think i predated cds if that's possible <laughs> that's why yeah, all my early stuff like the, first, the first few entries here are cassette only so and yeah, yeah. I, I checked the mad hat uh it doesn't have a specific date but both are 93 mad hat and hardship Post. okay yeah, cool. Let's go with hardship post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So would this be would this also then, I mean I've also got the uh the murder record singles set here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's a hardship post photo early on, which is just a great picture. Um would this have I, I I'm assuming this is probably a little bit later. Yeah, that actually was the job for Sub Pop. Sub Pop hired me mm-hmm. to take those photos. Um when they first signed that was that was quite a bit later yeah like 96 maybe 97 yeah the well the the release there the yeah the photo is probably from later i think the release there is the why don't we smooth things over seven inch um okay yeah yeah. (laughs) so so you're doing you've got photography you're you're obviously so how did them obviously the murder records connection would have come through chris and so basically by 1994, like you're the go-to photographer for murder, for murder records, essentially. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the way that happened, I guess, was in 94, I, um, did a, an exchange to an art school in Boston. Mm. Um, and it was, um, at the same time that Sloan went to New York or New Jersey, excuse me, to record twice removed. Um, And I, I still didn't know them that well. And I knew Chris the most from school and uh, we, we were in a super eight class together. So I think I was in one of his super eight project videos and he was in mine. Um, So he was like, why don't you, when you're in Boston, come on over to New York. Um, 
their their hotel was in New York. <laughs> they just mm, recorded in right. New Jersey. Right. Um, and uh, take some pictures and hang out. So I took the bus a couple times. And um, I think it was it's called the Waterfront Studios. Or, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was just there while they were... I don't think I watched any actual recordings, just overdubs and listening. I, I remember they were doing before I do. And I just took pictures of them all like around the console. And we took some sort of fake live pictures. And then I, I saw Andrew's notebook like wrapped in duct tape and in stickers. And I saw it sitting on an amp and I thought that looked cool. So I just took that picture um, and then Chris wanted me to take a picture of one of Andrew's sparkly blue, blue drums. Cause he had an idea for, um, the album. Um, so I did that. So that was kind of just like, you know, I pushed the button. He set that all up. But then when I showed them the pictures, they really liked that, the photo of Andrew's notebook. So that ended up in twice removed and and the drum was on the back um and like i i had to you know i got a contract from geffen which i also still have um (laughs) i think i think it was like 500 bucks or something um and i remember reading the language i learned what in perpetuity meant and there's there's something else like they own the rights to the image in perpetuity for every current and future medium or like planet. Like it was something basically like <laughs> if in the future we all live in space that they own it there too. <laughs> David Geffen was a pioneer. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. I just, I found that just like I recently moved and just went through all the stuff because I needed to throw out everything and I found that. So I kept that one. That's cool. Fantastic. I, I noticed, I think the super eight footage you're speaking about with Chris in it, your film recently ended up being the, he worked it into the video for tons in another way. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, well, that was video from our video oh. class. We were in together. Okay. Super eight was our film class. We we're in together. Um, <laughs> I think so. What was my? Maybe he was just in my. We did. I. I. I, Chris is currently like transferring all this stuff and digitizing all this stuff. So I just gave him like a box of Hmm. weird formats that don't exist anymore, and he's transferring it. So I've seen some of our art school stuff. Like there was. There's some film like someone eating way too much spaghetti and and uh I don't know. But yeah, that that video um of him on the couch like surfing the channels, it it was horrible. It was it was so bad. But he he managed to make something good out of it. It's the second tons video actually he's made from transferring my footage and not telling me first. <laughs> would the other, would the like, other be the like the interview footage of the three guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, awesome. yeah he's like, here, look at this, and it's like all done. But obviously, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Amazing. So you're there. I mean, you're obviously seeing the guys sort of live, I assume, through their whole sort of smeared era. You know, it's 1994 now. They're in New Jersey. You're in Boston and visiting them in the studio. Um, So just sort of a weird sort of auxiliary question. Like, do you recall seeing or hearing or hearing, you know, talk about – because they obviously went through a really big sonic change between the two records, you know, Mm -hmm. and I I think with with Toys Removed, they were trying to make something – we've talked about this a lot on the show – trying to make something a little more timeless and not so sort of stuck in the early 90s trend of maybe British music and so on at the time. Um, do you recall yeah. noticing that change, whether it was live or suddenly showing up at the studio and being like, oh, this doesn't sound like the old stuff or hearing any sort of rumblings about what they might, might have been inspired by? I don't remember being that shocked or surprised, but I definitely remember them saying like, oh, God, are, are we sabotaging ourselves? Kevin's going to hate this. Um, and I do also remember... Um, the 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 very calculated choice to make something more timeless, yeah, and just recognizing very early on that you don't want to be a band that's part of a trend, yeah, um, and that foresight is pretty great for like they're so young and from such a small place and had this, such a big opportunity, and and knew that they wanted to have careers, mm. yeah. And I remember also um, going over to visit, I, I think Liz Fair, Exile, and Guyville had just come out and like the Breeders. And and I, I remember like trying to, to play it for Chris. And I, I, this is how I remember it. He's like, I can't listen to that because I will just write a song like that. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't want to listen to any music that's being made right now because I don't want to be influenced by now. I, I want to, Okay. Tap into like my, you know, childhood, Joni Mitchell, the Beatles, you know, yeah. stuff that has already stood the test of time. Right. But I would also say then, deeper than beauty is very exile and Guyville sounding. Yeah, I was gonna say that. I think that's the song that he name checks as being directly influenced by that album. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe we've 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 found a bridge between his demo for Deeper Than Beauty, which sounds considerably different than the the eventual mm. album title. That's that's so cool. Like um, hearing that they were so self aware while recording that ooh, this might not necessarily go over with the DGC people. Yep. No, they knew. And then, um, <laughs> and then I mean, maybe you you've heard this story too, but the their A and R guy also signed Weezer at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And. And Weezer went in the other direction, or yeah. you know, were grunge, but but still poppy. Like, yeah, Weezer wasn't grunge grunge at, at all, but they were a little bit more loud, I suppose. Yeah, maybe maybe perhaps a little more of the time between the two records. Yeah. But it, like for me, like, give me twice removed over the Blue Album any day. Like, it's just so. I mean, I'm a little biased, obviously, as one of the hosts of this podcast, but. Uh, <laughs> for me, it kind of it lives on a little bit more. It's more timeless, like you were saying. And uh, but anyway, blah, blah. yeah, and the, and the pr- productions, you know, safe slash classic. Like it, it's, you know, you, there's so many records from that era that you're just like, oh god, the drums. Mm, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
it's an one chord to another anniversary year this year is 25 years of one chord to another and we've oh, been is? focusing it is 25 yeah. years it's actually june of 2000 oh. uh june of 1996 so um Yes, time flies. Uh, that was both a Rob, Rob and my uh, introductory album to the band. Basically, I think that you know mm -hmm. I'd had my sister had t twice removed kicking about, and my oldest sister was aware of them from the very beginning. But I, you know, that was for me like the real entry point uh, into into Sloan. And we recently touched on um, with a guest. We recently touched on how fucking awesome the artwork for one chord to another is mm -hmm. uh you know by this point in 95 96 you were sort of the go-to person when it came to developing an artwork concept uh built around photography for for the album so how how did that come about and what can you remember about that lead up to to one chord to another well i I'd, I'd love to take all the credit but um <laughs> Just do it. As as you, <laughs> I mean, Chris and Jay are very like they they see everything very holistically. Like it's not just the music; it's the artwork, yeah. it's the the label, it's everything is is um, the complete package. So both of them had a real um, aesthetic, which which matched the not of the moment. Like there was, there wasn't a lot of, you know, wide angle cross-processed photographs of those guys. Sure. You know, there were when they're on Geffen and when, um, when Geffen put out smeared, it was kind of more like that, but that quickly shifted as twice removed sound shifted to a more classic aesthetic style photography. I, I think it was Chris, but maybe J2 would collect um, kind of these these German design anthologies, um, mm. basically like award-winning ads and, and concepts and layouts. So let's just say that was a heavy influence and certain photos from certain pages were very heavily <laughs> studied. <laughs> um copied we copied a lot from that those books um so yeah there's there's probably some exact replication going on if you ever wanted to look through and find <laughs> what those are copied from but also like so that one it was all sort of um very high contrast and on the turquoise mm -hmm. background mm -hmm. Again, that's super easy to do now, but it wasn't then. It wasn't just a filter or a button. Um, right. It was like I I would print them kind of that way, and then they'd be scanned, and then there was sort of like rudimentary Photoshop work done. But it wasn't it wasn't easy. And then the pictures inside the collage, I think that was just 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 sourced from a bunch of photos. Yeah, that's cool. You mentioned the label earlier. I mean, their Murder Records catalog by ninety four ninety five. It even has a certain sort of classic look to it. And I know there's a Wilf Carter record that they had copied at one point for yeah. the yeah. Superman single. Um, yeah. Yeah. Look at that catalog, and it's virtually all of your photography. You know, as, in a sense, at the time, like stood up seven inch and so on, Super Friends mm -hmm. single. Um, so pretty cool. Um, do you? I mean, I um, wanted to take a step back for a second. You, on the stood up single, I think Chris had mentioned one, one point 
that after everybody, there's a group of people who are all singing and yelling, stood up, stood up, woo. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. hear you laughing on the track, actually. So now you're there yeah. recording as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that that was... Um... So Chris and I and Ian McGettigan, Thresherman, and Wayne McPherson. I don't know if you know Wayne. He was in bands at the time. We all lived together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we, we did those backup, um, stood up vocals, like in, I think, Ian's bedroom. <laughs> so we were just having fun. And I laughed <laughs> like I do. Um, yeah, we all yelled, stood up, stood up, stood up, stood up. Woo. And I laughed. And I think Chris and I always sort of in our minds referenced, uh, Rio from Duran Duran. Mm. It starts with a little laugh. That's what I always think of. All right. Great. The, the, the Chris Murphy Duran Duran references continue. The thread, <laughs> the thread on this podcast is intact. Oh, um, Duran Duran's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And that's another band he and I, I think, bonded over, like John Taylor's Space Flight. Right. Be great. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, at, at this point in time, as well, you're professionally also delving into television, if, if, I'm, not, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, can you maybe yeah. dive into that? Um, so in art school, I, I did photography and then film and video. and. And in video classes, I learned how to edit. Um, And then you just shoot these little, like, I don't know, we're all supposedly being artists, but everyone's just doing like comedy spoof, basically precursor to YouTube or TikTok or whatever. I don't know. But I I developed skills and I knew how to to light and focus and edit. So, I was working, uh, I'd graduated and I was working at a photo lab and um, Drew Yamada, who's in Super Friends, his mm-hmm. um, wife, girlfriend at the time, Jen, she'd gone through journalism school and she had just started working on the show Street Sense. Right. And I remember thinking like, I should be working on that show. I should be working in television. I know how to do all that stuff. Like what, what do you need to do to work in television? Uh, so I talked to her and um, there was a researcher job opening. Cool. And I was like, well, how hard can that be? So I have to tell you, this is pre Google. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't just research on the internet, but Anyway, so I went for the interview and um, I got it. Uh, And then pretty soon after starting, I was like, yeah, I can do that. But I also know how to do all this other stuff. And they're like, oh, you should be doing that. So I became a producer within a couple months um, and started... Like I made the opening for Street Sense for like cool. four different seasons, and uh, with the thrush shot, music, I'm assuming I I didn't do that one. Uh, I think okay, yeah, I, I was after that, and oh, okay. and Rich right. Fox sixty five did one too. Okay, I didn't. I mean, maybe that was the 
theme when I started, but we ended up changing the theme every year after a while. But like I shot, you know, I don't know if you've seen Street Sense, but like Fit for the Pit and Street, Street, oh, what do we call it? Street Tests or something. Yeah, I, I was on that show for, for a few years and, and like learned everything so much. And uh, I got myself flown to Toronto to, oh yeah, I think it was, I think it was the Palais Royale shows. Did Rufus Wainwright open? Yeah. 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 Okay. So I got myself flown to Toronto to do a guitar strings street test with Patrick for street sense. (laughs) And while I was there, I think I shot the cover for the, um, that live album. Really? Okay. So Chris says I shot that in Halifax. So I don't remember, but anyway, that was the four. Yeah. The room, the rumor is the McInnes room. At Dell. Yeah, I don't I have guess, any memory of that, but <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Someone someone will know. We'll fit we'll find out. Yeah. I was just I was just saying you you've you've now got your hands sort of in music photography, in production, in 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 television. Eventually, I mean you yourself are a musician. Eventually that's gonna pop mm-hmm. up. Had had you already so we know Pony to look, I think sloan fans in general are aware of the band and and even been in toronto at the time and 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 been to shows but at what point are you delving into bands yourself i knew how to play piano just from piano lessons growing up i like barely i i won't even say i could ever play guitar i learned the first few notes of metallica one Not not a solo like that. Right. Um, and then oh, and I played oboe in high school, so I wouldn't have ever called myself a musician. But um, there was a band in Toronto, Pony to Look, and I was friends with the the ladies. And uh, one of their members left, and one of them called me up. I think I was working at Much Music at the time, and they called me at work, just like, "Hey, what would you think of playing in Pony the Look? We have a show in two weeks, and we need somebody." <laughs> and I was like, "Not a chance, sorry, no." <laughs> and that was the end of it. And then I think another one of them called. It's like you have to just it's like just just learn all the songs and see and come to a practice and see how it goes. <laughs> It's like, well, that's, that's a lot to ask. Uh, and my reason for saying no is I was just like, it never even crossed my mind to be in a band or be on stage. And like, I, I'm shy and like, I, I don't want to be on stage in front of people. And I hadn't played piano for so long. And, and there was this two week deadline and I'm not good under pressure. But like, they really did not let me say no. And just like sent me the songs and like came to my house and just like, this is how you play it. And I was just like, I was so stressed and my stomach was like hurt so much. And then 
We uh, our first show was at Lee's Palace, and it was sold out because it was part of um, some wavelength festival. And I was just, oh god, I was so nervous. And like, I think my um, my keyboard was like on the chorus function, so there was all these weird chords coming out of it. And then in the middle of our set, somebody fainted, and mm. they had to like stop stop everything and an ambulance came but like we were still standing on the stage so it was my worst nightmare <sighs> like just standing doing nothing on a stage in front of 600 people <laughs> for like 20 minutes <laughs> oh. oh but i stayed in the band <laughs> yeah. amazing that was your that was your yeah. first band my only band yeah wow Unless, unless a, you yeah. have other research, I don't think I've been in another band. <laughs> I mean, the stood up uh, same old plane cheering school. Well, there you go. Not, uh, and, I, it, but. and I imagine you're in the party album mixture. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Glitter and Gold, I sang on that. And the, the Stereo Lab one. Yeah. And the Na 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 Hey Poor Boy. Well, anything with mm-hmm. a chorus. I think that was really fun. Yeah, that's that's so neat because I remember when I first heard the record, I totally thought it was a real album, <laughs> really recorded. A I mean, obviously later in the record, yeah, yeah, yeah. come into the bathroom and the the fourth wall is kind of broken. Right, but, right. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it would have been so much fun to to actually put that whole thing together, similar to the way the Beach Boys did it. Well, we threw the party, right, and I took the pictures of the party. Mm. So yeah. there, so a, par- a party did happen. And I think probably that the songs were playing and people were maybe singing along. Okay. Because I was going to say, like, the party itself, how much of it was actually Sloan-based? You know, was it like just two minutes of quickly get behind the instruments and we'll take some pictures kind of thing? Mm. No, no, there was a party. Yeah. Cool. It was, at, was, that, um, was that Cafe Mocha? Cafe Mocha, I think. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Upstairs, yeah. Awesome. So it would have been probably just a couple of years right before joining Pony to Look. Uh, if I re- recall seeing Instagram correctly, uh, you were actually nominated for a Juno for Between the Bridges. I was. I was. Oh, cool. Myself who, and Lee Tundro. Yeah. Awesome. Who, who was the uh, asshole who ended up winning? <laughs> I think it was Finger Eleven. Ugh, so like greatest, <laughs> greatest of blue skies fucking beat between the bridges jesus well it, it might have been even rainbow butt monkeys i don't know the the chron- chronology of their name change <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was nominated for juno i lost to the rainbow butt monkeys yeah 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 that's my legacy i've since been nominated for two emmys so take that well there rainbow you go yeah juno's schmunos well, do do a lot. Exactly. I mean, what 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 happens? Yeah. What what happens when you get nominated for a Juno or for an Emmy? Like, do they just call um, you up and or what what goes on? Yeah. Well, so I didn't know I was nominated for a Juno. I I didn't even know I was like um, submitted. So I mm-hmm. didn't pay attention to nominations because why would I? I was I was working in at Street Sense, and I got a letter in the mail asking if I was attending. I was like, what? Why? I don't get it. And then I just felt like it, it had been out for like weeks. I just didn't know. <laughs> um, and at the time, like Thresher Mint was nominated and 
bunch of people. So like a whole contingent of us went up. And it was like not the televised night, but the night before, which is a big dinner, which is arguably more fun. Hmm. So um, I sat with Thresher and I don't know who else. And we just like had a super fun time. That's great. And I was like super glad I didn't win because I couldn't imagine having to go up and <laughs> say something. <laughs> so the fun of getting nominated but not having to be put on the spot necessarily. Yeah, that's great. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I recall you mentioning too that uh, when you mentioned that you were nominated that, that uh, Between the Bridges was also your favorite Sloan album. Is that still the case? Um. Yeah, probably. Cool. And is that just yeah. like a, like just the songs or maybe the time? Was there anything that sort of resonates with you um, specifically? I really, I really liked how um, songs ran into each other and how certain lyrics referenced other songs. And I just like, it was just like this whole, I, like, I don't know if they call it a concept album because I don't know thematically if there's a concept, but I just thought it was cool. And I liked the song. I like all those songs. I think it was like uh, ratio wise, the most songs that I really loved on one album. Yeah. Yeah. And this would have probably um, been one of the first digipacks as well. Cause it wasn't in a oh, yeah, classic, it was. Uh, yeah. you know, slip case or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I, I think that might've been like expensive. And I think there was, um, was the typeface and kind of like a gloss. Oh, yeah, man. I think that's the record where Jay had mentioned a very specific printing style was. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. I remember all those conversations. Yeah, <laughs> and I also I think I had an early copy, and I I went to Europe that summer, and I remember being on a train from, I think I I flew to England and landed in um, um, Gatwick because it was the cheaper flight, and I was on a train mm-hmm. into London. And listening to that record that's that's my memory of my first memory of that <laughs> and in my mind in my imagination of course this is the album when if you open it up it's a whole bunch of sloans it's a whole bunch of them yeah and, and, the, and the theme of the record is sort of like a gray off-white um and a lot has been talked about over Chris's specific poses, there's like the sort of dancing and prancing and <laughs> I'm imagining him like in your apartment with a backdrop and you've got all of them and you're like pumping music. I mean, was it anything like that or was it maybe a little more surgical? Um, well, it, it wasn't at my apartment. It was at um, like some sort of warehouse that had a built-in um, white, I think it's right. called a, it's just like a white curved wall that curves mm. into the floor right um yeah there was probably music it was probably like rolling stones i'm thinking or something yeah. and uh yeah i think uh i don't know i think chris would dance in front of anyone but obviously <laughs> dancing in front of me is like no big deal and maybe Maybe the comfort level is just there because I've shot them so many times. <laughs> and then they then they made the video with that right. same concept, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. For losing, California. losing California. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say the whole package, <laughs> like from one chord to another on, and you know, you were involved in 
photography for one chord through to pretty together just that whole package uh for each album is so cohesive um and you know you'd spoken again to the art sensibilities in the band but the way that the photography complements that is is great and my my favorite example from i guess your catalog with with sloan is the pretty together cover which is the the facsimile of the simon and garfunkel mm-hmm. um bookends poster that that was at chris's place if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah his apartment on uh palmerston it's, yeah there was uh... like no room <laughs> it was <laughs> not a big room and so i i don't think it made it onto the album cover but th- there's some promo photos maybe you can see my lighting kit like uh, along the sides just because there wasn't room to get it out which i always like i love that so uh, another thing that was really always a part of my photography is I would never crop anything. Mm. Um, yeah. What, and uh, yeah, for me is like, you do the work when you frame it, you don't frame it afterwards. Yeah. And the little sort of like, um, I, I kind of equate it with like, you know, DC, straight edge hardcore like no manipulation purest form of everything is that Mm. you use a filed out negative carriers so you reveal the edges of the negative all around the side so it shows that this is what the picture you took right it's just like proof that there's no manipulation right um so all that to say Somebody did Photoshop out my <laughs> light stand, I'm assuming. Though I guess the cover is square, so maybe they just made it square and, and got rid of the sides. But I, w- I was into all that. I liked just sort of warts and all. Just Again, it was like a document of what that room looked like instead of um, a fixed-up portrait. I think you can right. for sure see what's in the room, like on the inside, for sure, inside pretty together. It's like a little bit more expansive. Right. Ken mentioned uh, the, the reference to the Simon and Garfunkel poster. Was that something that ever happened uh, more than once? Like where, where either Sloan or some other artist was like, we really want it to look like this, you know? Was that kind of common? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. With, with Sloan especially, like they often came with, with their references in check. Um, and then not so much other bands, but I would like, I collected so many photography books and I would get ideas. Mm. I never really recreated too much, but, and I don't know how cool it is to say now, but I was really into Annie Leibovitz and because she would, um, you know, she did the documentary stuff and she went on the road with the Rolling Stones and documented them. But she also like her, more like celebrity photographs she would really create um a scene Hmm. a a story like something's happening something unpredictable or or like i don't want to say that she used props but people were in weird places and there's sort of like you have questions and that's something i tried to take on a little bit but also like you know you just want to want people just want to look cool so people just kind of want to stand there and <laughs> not smile and look cool 
Speaking of the Pretty Together era, there's this meta moment that I have like singed into my memory. I think it's during like the interview segment of the Live at Much of 2001, and I think Nardwar is called in or something like that. Like he's a special guest, a phone-in Hello. guest, and he's referencing something. I think to do with Chris and Nico Case or something, and I think it's you who actually hands him a copy of Have Not Been the Same or something that Nardwar is referencing. If I have that right. And and not only that, but you did the cover of the book you're handing him. I did do that cover, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I didn't shoot it for the cover. It was a photo. Yeah. Um, I'd taken. Yeah, that would have been uh, Buffalo. Sloan's last show ever. Yeah. 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 I I I'm trying to remember. I don't know if they had decided they wanted Sloan on the cover. Yeah, I wish I could remember. I don't. Well, I was really happy about that. Yeah, like a book about that period. I mean, who else are you going to put on there? It's a it's a great photo, obviously. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mm. yeah, I love I that photo. It was a kind of cool moment. Yeah, the thing about that photo I really love. I I think I think it's in that one. It might be one of the others I took, but um, Andrew's hands are bleeding, and oh, there's wow. blood like on the thighs of his jeans as he's playing. Crazy. I I, I don't he know. Literally if you can got see it blisters in that on one. his fingers. <laughs> He does. He does. <laughs> I can, I can like feel the pain of that photo. Like I think in the photo, he's got like a t-shirt or something wrapped around his left thigh. Um, and as a drummer, that I mean, I know, yeah. yeah, as a drummer, like for sure early on, I always remember like having bruises and welts on my legs and stuff. And so, yeah, I can definitely relate and I can feel the pain yeah. in that photo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd made the, maritime migration to toronto at around this point in time as well is that correct um i moved in 2000 so it was a bit right. later than everyone else yeah. yeah right right and uh you know you'd, you'd spoken about annie Leibovitz and sort of documenting the rolling stones and my understanding is that you were also quite active in, in documenting some of the biggest bands in the toronto scene at that point in time yeah um broken social scene i guess would be the biggest one um but I mean, they hadn't started quite yet. Like, I, I when I moved to Toronto, I did more work um, for magazines. Uh, like, I shot Trouble Charger and By Divine Right and um, New Pornographers, mm. uh, Nico Case. But then I, I, uh, I think I, yeah, I think I met Kevin Drew again, sort of around the time I met Chris, like just before start doing doing this band like i think kevin and brendan had made a casey accidental album yeah i don't i don't think they had started yet but yeah i shot them like i i remember going to they're shooting a video it was an animated video for um stars and suns i think and i went i i my hands were in the video they needed hands like clapping and then I think Kevin asked me to like bring my camera and take pictures. And I took uh, some pictures of the band that I completely ripped off of uh, Richard Avedon. <laughs> and then that photo ended up in Rolling Stone magazine, Amazing. which was thrilling. And I, I got my name there. I got the credit. That was pretty cool. I like that one. That's awesome. I'm I'm totally fascinated. And I mean, this is sort of crosses over this um, period of time as well. <clears throat> the hundred portraits. 
so I just yeah, want yeah. to ask, ask you a little bit about that because it, it, it seems to run from 97 to 2003. So this would have crossed over this period of time. So was this yeah. something that you had in mind as an art project from the get-go? Like I'm just going to take all of these photos and then what did it actually eventually show somewhere? Was it presented like in a gallery? Yeah. Awesome. yeah so I started that in Halifax and it was again, very much like that broken social scene picture I just talked about. It was um, very Richard Avedon inspired, which is like the white background showing the edge of the negative around the black edges, square, um, black and white. And I just, like at the time I had, uh, I rented a, s- a studio space with another photographer. I had all this gear. I seemingly had endless amounts of time. I don't know how, um, but I just would go in there and, and photograph my friends and like experiment and try out things and try out lighting. And it was just like, I just did that all the time. And then I would go into the dark room and print. So that was an aesthetic I always really liked and I started doing it. And then, and then once you have like, I also really like um, sets and consistency and sameness. And so it's like, okay, everyone's going to be framed exactly the same way and have no expression and be lit the exact same way. Like I had measurements from like lights to chair to camera. I, I took over a hundred portraits over the course of six, seven years in two different cities in like probably 10 different rooms. And I can tell the difference, but I think they kind of look pretty uniform. Yeah, there, I, I went through that recently because, again, when I was moving, I found all those framed, like 100 framed photos in a box. I was like, I can't just keep carrying these around with me. So I like sold a bunch over Christmas time. I was like, give a picture of someone to themselves this Christmas. <laughs> I, I unloaded a bunch. I still have probably half of them. But yeah, so when I moved to Toronto and I met more Toronto people, um, there are some faces in there like Chaos and Feist and Kevin Drew. Which I, oh yeah, and then and then Kevin Rareton, Chaos. He used his for his like latest release and it was a billboard in uh, Young and Dead Square. Oh, awesome. Which I which I also didn't know until I saw it on his Instagram page that I wrote him. I'm like, Hey, is this real? Or did you just like Photoshop that? He's like, yeah. Meant to tell you. In perpetuity. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like your average, your average photographer just dreams of having these sort of like public exhibitions of their work and you're sort of <laughs> falling backwards over it. I love it. <laughs> Well, the funny thing also is like he's 15 years younger in the picture he's using for his latest release. Yeah. I think that's like the whole Elvis Presley thing where he would have photos that are like 10 years younger of himself on stuff from the late 70s or whatever. I don't know. But um, so I guess. Or like Tom's videos. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) There's so many more localized. More direct reference. Yeah. (laughs) All the Tom's materials from like 1993. Yeah. And speaking of, I mean, more recently, uh, I think it was the 99 chart magazine shoot is the cover of the new Sloan B-Sides Win Volume 2 LP, which is super cool to see. Right. Another thing I was told about after it was done. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the Catherine Stockhausen um, story. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, I, I shot them for, I think it was chart. Yeah. Um, outside of a bar in Halifax called the shoe shop on Argyle street. Hmm. So not only, so again, when I moved, everything's going to relate to this move. <laughs> I not only gave Chris like all this stuff to transfer, I gave him a bunch of stuff to store. Like I just, I mean, I guess this, this started maybe a year ago, but hmm. he voluntarily took every binder of all my negatives and cataloged them electronically, put them in the right order, thematically did the binders. So there's an entire slum binder. And he found all this stuff that I forgot I had. So I guess he probably scanned those at the time and then made it into a, a new album package and then told me after. Wow. So and, there might be there might be more material coming our way at some point in the future. Well, so what what would be the next anniversary package they would do? Well, Maybe please. Yeah, I mean if we're if we're lucky, then let me let me think the next well, one would be between the bridges. Yeah. Right. Yes. And I, I do believe that's happening. Cool. And then potentially maybe a B-Sides yeah. win three, which would be post 2001. So I'm sure there's maybe some, you know, action packed, never heard the end of it photography. Who knows? Oh, I just say there was a certain point that I, I didn't take their photos anymore, but then I did again for um, one of the double one of the ones that opens up into a gatefold. Commonwealth, yeah, 2014. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. That was the last time I photographed them. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that photo. Uh, Kevin in the back with the robe open. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's the first thing you see. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have to ask. I mean, I don't know if this is something that's in the works or whatever. But I mean, who wouldn't love a coffee table book of all of this amazing photography? Uh, and if there was such a thing, what would be on the cover in your mind? Would it be a photo? Because, I mean, I noticed uh, one of the early stinking rich photos, if you look at his glasses, you can actually see you taking the picture. So I don't know if it really? would be a photo where you're kind of secret in the picture or maybe something that's a favorite of yours. Hmm. Well, to answer part A of your question, I like I've thought about it. I just I don't think there's enough people who would want that. And I just don't think, I don't personally feel like the photos are good enough. Like I, I think they're, they're interesting for people who like that music and it's like a good document of a time, but just like as a piece of art photos, like I, there's just so many like weird shadows and lighting problems and exposure problems. And like that's what I see. So I just I I would feel like it would be like an illegitimate book. And if you look Hard at the like, yeah. I was gonna say <laughs> just you, quickly you that, what, the, the deluxe box sets, I mean the, the be- big beautiful books that come in those, as well as the murder singles collection, I mean, those are sort of collections of your work. I mean, those deluxe box yeah. sets, if you look at the credits, I mean they wouldn't exist without your material. So um it would be cool to see like in one place in a copy table book, it's all big, but whatever. I'll you know, keep that'll be and that'll remain in my dreams. Like I mean, if you if you if you run the numbers and tell me it's worth it, I'll consider it. We'll get we'll get a Kickstarter going. How's that? Okay. <laughs> there are a couple um, hundred crazies out there who would probably shell out for that. So uh, I mean, it'd be cool. 
for the cover photo, um, I mean, I guess it would have to be Sloan because that's kind of like my bread and butter. <laughs> and um, like, I, I really like, um, there's there's a session I did with them at the NASCAD photo studio. It's like, it's black and white, white background. And there's like, it's kind of taken from below and there's a symbol that kind of like. This sounds like navy blues. Yeah, yeah, probably. It was never used in an album. It might have been a poster. Hmm. There's a symbol that's sort of very front and center that almost goes diagonally across, and they're all sort of tightly fit around. Anyway, I really like that. And I really like um, a photo I took there in the studio uh, recording Navy Blues, I guess. And it's it's really grainy. It's black and white. It's vertical, and they're like look like they're playing. Oh, so that's the one I was talking about first. But there's a black and white version of that I like better. And then the um, maybe the vertical one will come out in a, <laughs> a later on. <laughs> and something I noticed too, uh, not to get too personal, uh, but scrolling through your Instagram, sure. I noticed that I guess your daughter had a fourth birthday recently. And this actually brought over the four from four nights of the Palais Royale to. Yeah. Well, okay. So he was going to bring it over, but we couldn't find proper transportation. It's so big. But apparently when they transport it, it's like tied onto a side of a, a van. Like it doesn't fit in anything. Um, and and turns out that's not the original one. They made a hmm. um, a much lighter one out of styrofoam because the other one was too hard to transport. Yeah, yeah. So we couldn't get it to our house, so it's in their space. So we just went over to the space and plugged oh, it in and, and took the photos there. That's awesome. I even had like I I um my street has like a street email group, and I was like. Does anyone have a large truck that can transport a big number with lights? <laughs> anyway, that again was Chris's idea. I, I didn't even think. And I was like, yeah, Daisy's birthday's coming up. He's like, well, if you want that four. And I was like, why would I want that? All right. <laughs> She's turning four. That makes sense. <laughs> um, but I was so happy to do that. It was very fun. Yeah, that's like a kind of really cool, special kind of keepsake photo, sort of tying yeah. two things together. Well, I mean, obviously your life these days, I assume, isn't so much based around photography. But do you have anything sort of sort of favorite photos or anything sort of sitting around where you're just like, you know, that, that photo will always be on a mantle or on a fridge or, you know, I, I, I like to keep this camera out or whatever. Anything like that sort of over the yeah. years, sort of sort of a keepsake or something that's sort of special that you kind of hung on to? Um, that I took. It's funny. Once again, coming back to this move we did, I have all these framed photos that I've taken that I'd long since took off my walls and put in boxes. I just like, I don't know, my, my ideas of house decoration changed. And I was like, I don't want sure. pictures of, dudes <laughs> framed dudes that I used to know <laughs> yeah. um but my partner Joel was like 
why don't we have all these up in the walls? I'm like, I don't want to, I don't know. These are so cool. What, like, why are they in boxes? So now our place, we have uh, a third floor that's kind of like his music room and they're, they're all up on the walls up there. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. So we do have those. Um, one of one of the pictures that sort of stuck with me is an Eric's trip. Um, actually, two Eric's trip photos I framed. One is from their last show ever at the time at their LinkedIn High School. Mm-hmm. I got up behind the drums and took it from behind them, and you just see this whole auditorium of, of people, and I like that shot. And then another one I took of them live, and it's individual shots. There's like one of Rick, I think, and the one of Julie with Mark in the background, and one of Chris, and then I frame them all sort of beside each other, and I call it my Eric's triptych. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that that's a cool one. You've you've worked with so many bands over the years, and I, I mean, the most fun, obviously, you've had with any band was with Sloan. But if you were to choose a, another band, like what if? What what's the next most fun that you've had with a with a recording artist? I think Thrush on Rap is pretty fun to photograph. <laughs> we did my my first shoot with them. I think it was for Smart Bob. Hmm. Yeah. Um, they really were leaning into the sort of suburban kid image. So we went to a, the mall, like near where they, like the mall they would go to, and we like. I think there was a bay or Eaton's or something. We like went in and they laid on the display beds and like we're in the racks of clothes and in the arcade and bowling alley and we did everything. Um, and I remember we were on the first roll and we'd taken all these photos and I was like coming close to the end of the roll. It was like, okay, 36, 37, 38, 39. Like what's going on? And um, forty, uh, I'm like, oh my god! I never put film in this camera. <laughs> the whole first hour of this shoot, there was no film in that camera. <laughs> so, but they were good about it. But yeah, I photographed them a lot. I photographed them live a lot because they were super fun on stage. It's hard to get a good live photo of people who just stand there. So. I have so many photos of Joel jumping and Ian breathing fire and bouncing his bass on his chin. And the the best people to photograph are just people who are comfortable in front of a camera, mm-hmm. who are not who are not um, forcing them to look a certain way. Who who know what works for them. Who know their right. angles. <laughs> know how to dress for a photo because I. I never was like at the level where there would be stylists or even makeup. Like I never, right. no one ever had makeup on. That's very different from today. Or maybe that's just, sure. that's was just Halifax. Like we didn't know that people did that for photos. Yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming that Sloan were totally professional about every shoot that you were involved with. Right. I mean, I'm just going out on a limb and thinking that these guys are, fairly comfortable in front of the camera by the time pretty together rolls around or how how was that i mean would did um, was it hard getting a good shot no but i mean they they know what it takes so they're patient and i wouldn't take a ton of photos 
you know, they would set aside the time. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say they're all totally comfortable all the time in front of the camera. I mean, I don't know many people who are really. I'm not. But part of the job of the photographer is to make people feel comfortable. So you have to mm. be light and encouraging and spontaneous. I, I like just shooting away if people are ready or not, because you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, you don't want to make people wait in a certain pose. Like I allow people to change, change up themselves, change their own face and, and, and I'll just get it. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say, okay, I'm ready to shoot. Yeah. Cause there is something, there's an intangible, something special about all these photos. You know what I mean? I think I speak on behalf of certainly the Sloan fans listening to this and the people who love murder records catalog. I mean, I don't think I've poured over an artist's photography more than yours, certainly, uh, you know, growing up and, you know, loving all these bands and checking out all their artwork and stuff. So, you know, on behalf of all of those people, thank you for sharing your photos with us. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. There are a lot of fans out there who just love this photography. That's, that's crazy to me. Um, <laughs> I also like, I poured over photos that Charles Peterson took in Seattle. Yeah. Like that was, you know, um, Annie Leibovitz, um, Sid Richard Abaddon, um, Robert Frank. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm thrilled that someone has poured over my own. That's really <laughs> flattering. Yeah. Some good company to be in there for sure. Well, hey, I didn't put myself in there. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm certainly doing that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, you would be incredibly humble. I would, yeah, I would expect that. But uh, yeah, awesome. And I will say again, you know, thank you so much for doing this, and it's such an honor to have you on here. Somebody so integral to not only the Sloan story, but obviously, the, you know, the music history and uh, that you played a huge part in. So uh, yeah, thanks so much for doing this. Super kind Aww. of you. Well, thanks for having me, and thanks for your questions and your curiosity. Wait, can I say one more thing? That was oh, absolutely the serious thing. That was another surprise. So Hip Club Groove uh, kind of reissued their trailer park hip hop. Yeah. Do, do you know where I'm going with this? I know that they reissued. Sorry, go ahead. So I I took the cover photo of the original. And it was mm. a trailer in the trailer park in Truro. They like covered my photograph, reshot mm-hmm. it. Oh wow! That's so. That's not the original photo on the album cover. No. Wow. It's a cover, a cover, cover photo. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Did they find the same trailer, or did they just find a similar trailer? Um, I mean, I I think it was. I think it was there. I think it was Brian's. It's like I think Brian's. Like I mean, it did okay. look a little different, but. But this yeah. is like exact same framing and angle and sky. Wow. Yeah, at a glance, I hadn't even noticed that it wasn't the original photo. That's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, that was the first. It was interesting to see. That's Again, so I didn't cool. know. <laughs> it's like Hip Club Groove um, and Phil Collins are like redoing their classic album covers. <laughs> Did Phil Collins do No Jacket Required again or something? I think he reissued like his, all of his 80s stuff and it's all photos of him now in the same positioning and lighting. And oh, that's amazing. You just yeah. can't tell because it's Phil Collins and he looks the yeah. exact same. <laughs> <laughs> it's bold then, it's bold now. 
That's right. Uh, okay, cool. Cool, that's awesome. Well, you've been covered. And I hope we covered a, a, enough here today. Uh, and I hope the listener enjoyed this episode. Again, like I said, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, it has been a pleasure, Catherine. Thank you so much. Thank you. Happy night.